Well, amen. Thank you. Choir, orchestra, band. You brought a Bible with you. Say amen. And let me invite you to open it with me, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, uh, this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through this Gospel. And we've been on the subject, show me your glory. So indeed, we want to experience God as we gather together. And this morning, we're going to find that Jesus actually reminds us that in order to experience the glory of God, we first of all have to have a genuine, authentic relationship with Him. So we'll look directly at that this morning. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. Let's stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. Luke 9, 57. You've got it in front of you? Say yes. And the Bible says, as they were going along the road, uh, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those who are at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So let's bow together. Father, it's a uh, great opportunity for us once again to open up the Bible and to know that you have breathed this word into our lives. You've given us the opportunity to see what you have to say. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd speak clearly from heaven. And God, I pray that you also would help all of us to take an opportunity this morning to examine ourselves to see if we are genuinely of the faith. And God, I know that uh, there are people who have been in church for a long time who have yet to genuinely come to know you personally. So God, I pray that you would uh, speak truth into their heart, that the enemy who has blinded their eyes, that you would uh, bind him in the name of Christ and open up their eyes to the truth, and that they would, with their whole heart, surrender themselves to you and experience a radical life change. And Father, I pray this morning as well that in this moment you'd take absolute control of our time together, that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit and grant me the opportunity to speak plainly and uh, boldly your message. And we'll give you glory for everything that you do this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. Well, in Luke's gospel, chapter 9 and verse 59, the Bible says, And Jesus said to another, follow me. This short command, follow me, often fell from the lips of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's found in all four gospels. Jesus, speaking to Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4 and 19, said this, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, saying, If you wish to be complete, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And in Mark 2 and 14, Jesus passed by the tax collection booth of Matthew and said, Follow me. Jesus gave the command to Philip in John's Gospel chapter 1, saying, Follow me. And listen to what Jesus says in John 12 and 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, there are times Jesus issues a promise with this command. As we hear in John's Gospel, chapter 8, as well as chapter 10, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus also says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
See, those who follow Jesus experience life as opposed to death. They were once dead to God, but because of Jesus Christ, they are made alive to God. Those who follow Jesus once were not able to hear his voice, but now they are able to hear his voice. And the command from Scripture continues to echo through the preaching of God's Word this morning. So Jesus is speaking to many of you in the building today as you sit there in the pew. You didn't come thinking this was going to happen. But the Lord this morning is issuing a command to you today. And Jesus is saying, follow me. And I think you're aware that there's no shortage of individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ in our modern day. Jesus promised the disciples in Matthew's gospel that this would occur. He says in Matthew chapter 13 that some would hear the word of God and immediately they would receive it with joy. Yet they would prove themselves to only be temporary followers of Christ and not genuine, authentic converts. Uh, some will hear the word of God and yet because they are so concerned with the deceitfulness of riches in the world, they would bear no fruit and prove themselves not to be genuine disciples. Some would hear the word of God and not respond at all because the enemy, who is the devil, would come in and snatch the truth from their hearts. And we also read the parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13. Jesus states that he's sowing good seed upon the soil of the earth. The good seed produces life, and these are sons of the kingdom. Uh, the bad seed is planted by the devil, and these are sons of the kingdom of darkness. And yet the weed looks eerily similar to the wheat. However, at the coming of the age, the Lord himself will unleash a host of angel armies, which will separate the wheats and the weeds. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 41 through 42, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. Some, as the Bible teaches, will be cast into fire, and they will be individuals who had actually in their lifetime called Jesus their Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 21 through 23, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This means that not everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ is actually a true, genuine, authentic follower of the Lord. As Jesus says, only those who do the will of my Father who are in heaven are true converts to Christ. So what is the will of God? John 6 and 40 says, this is the will of my Father, Jesus speaking. says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Before an individual will behold the Son and believe in him, he or she hears the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, follow me. This is a call to discipleship. This is a call to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A disciple is simply a willing follower and learner of the Lord. But you know, not everyone accepts this call. Remember, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord of their life has actually accepted the call of Christ. And as such, they will be eternally separated from God. And you know, that makes this preacher extremely nervous. There are many people who come to church week in and week out 
But according to the Bible and what Jesus says, that there will be many among those who show up in church and call Jesus their Lord who will actually spend eternity in hell whenever they die. It's because they only gave lip service to the Lord, but they never genuinely gave their hearts over to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, after hearing such statements come from Christ as well as through other texts of the New Testament, we begin to wonder, what does following Jesus entail? I mean, what is it all about? What does it really look like? And that's where we find ourselves today in our walk through Luke's gospel. So you're here this morning listening to uh, this tall, skinny preacher. Y'all listening? And so you've showed up, and my prayer has been that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will give you an opportunity to determine whether or not you're a genuine follower of Jesus. Just because you go to Concord doesn't mean you're in Christ. Uh, so I want to encourage you this morning that if you've never listened to a message before, that you will continue to listen to the Word of God as it's being preached this morning. And my prayer is that God, by His grace, would unleash the truth into your life. And if you do not know Him, that you would come to know Him before you leave our gathering today. So we want to ask the question, what does it really look like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? few statements I want to give you. Statement number one, here it is. Following Jesus is not comfortable. Look in your Bible again at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, this is no doubt a statement of enthusiasm. This person has come up to Jesus Christ and he is pledging his allegiance. Think about it. If someone were to come down the aisle this morning and they were to say uh, to me or to anybody else that they are going to follow Jesus wherever he wants them to go, I think we would all say praise the Lord, hallelujah, we'd be excited, we'd clap our hands in approval of that person's heart towards the Lord. However, there was no clapping, there was no praising at this man's statement in the text. It was just the opposite. Verse 58 in your Bible, Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus, uh, you will remember, set his face toward Jerusalem. He was going there to die for the sins of the world. His death would be for our sins. His sacrifice will be for our forgiveness. And through this death, Jesus would take on our sin so that by faith we might receive his righteousness. You know, one commentator states, and I quote, most believed that Jesus would establish a kingdom on the earth. Jews were looking for someone to reestablish the kingdom of God, to free them from foreign tyranny, to restore God's law and uphold godly justice, and to usher in another economic boom, all for their sakes, end quote. See, Jesus had the ability in this text to see the true motive of this would-be disciple's heart. He was aware that the man was enthusiastic about following him, because of what all he believed it was in it for him. So he showed up pledging allegiance to Jesus so that when the kingdom of God was established in Jerusalem, he would have a huge part of it. Jesus was having none of this what's in it for me attitude as it pertained to following him. The man had not counted the cost of true discipleship. He did not know what was ahead of him. Jesus told the man that foxes and birds have what he himself does not have. Namely, foxes have a place to comfort their heads in the caves, and the birds have a place to comfort themselves in the nest. But Jesus was not going to Jerusalem to conquer and set up a physical home or kingdom. Jesus was headed to the cross at Calvary. See, the road Jesus was traveling was one of rejection and not reception. 
Those who choose to follow Christ will find the same in this world. We will experience rejection from the world system and not reception. This man couldn't follow Christ because he went in with a what can I get out of it attitude instead of an attitude which said, I am ready to die for you. You know, Jesus said in Luke's gospel, chapter 9 and verse 23, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, following Christ is not a what's in it for me mindset, but rather an unreserved sacrifice of self. Heeding the call of Jesus Christ to follow him is the act of giving up your way of living and thinking, giving up your personal dreams and plans, giving up your selfish desires of greatness and appreciation, giving up your own pride, giving up yourself, and joining a road of rejection and persecution by the world. Following the Lord Jesus is not comfortable at all. You know, I preached at my granddad's funeral uh, yesterday afternoon down in South Georgia. And while I was there talking to uh, friends and family members in that uh, particular church, I began to share stories about my grandfather. So I talked about some things that he and I had experienced as I was growing up. And I noticed as I was sharing about the life of my grandfather, everybody was cued in with me intently. Eyeball to eyeball they were. They were looking, they were laughing, they were carrying on. But as soon as I began to move from talking about my grandfather to talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, immediately people began to quit looking at me eyeball to eyeball like some of y'all already have this morning. They became extremely uncomfortable to say the least. And as I was preaching and praying at the same time, asking God to redeem souls, I began to notice that there were some, even in my own family, who became extremely uh, squirmish, to say the least, in their seats as they began to try to find something else to occupy their minds. They did not desire to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and this call to follow him. But the bottom line is, the scripture says that if we are going to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we have to turn from our sin and turn from ourselves and trust the Lord Jesus with our life. That is the call, and it is not comfortable. That means you have to give up things. But whenever you begin to compare that which you have to give up with that which you gain in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no comparison. But you come to faith in Jesus Christ so that you can embrace him as Savior and Lord of your life. He is not an individual who stands on the peripheral of your life and you just kind of pay him a little due on Sundays. Uh, that is not a genuine convert. A genuine convert knows that Jesus Christ is the very center of their hearts and their relationship with Jesus determines that which they do in this life. And although it is not comfortable to follow Jesus because you are swimming upstream, God the Holy Spirit who resides within the believer continues to give the energy and the empowerment to move forward with the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you are in the building today and you don't know Jesus. You say, well, I've been baptized. Does not matter. I've joined the church. Does not matter. 
The question is, have you come to a point in your life where you realize that you are an absolute sinner? There was nothing you could do to save yourself. You are not good enough. You are not religious enough to make uh, an entrance into heaven. You cannot stand on your own righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. You and I do not have righteousness which has the ability to appease the wrath of Almighty God. But what we know is, as true believers, we've realized that. Our hearts are wicked above all things. We cannot save ourselves. But God loves us even in the midst of our sin state. And before we had a sin problem, he had a sin solution. Jesus came, lived a sinless life. And there on the cross at Calvary, we see our death. Jesus died for us. Jesus died to pay for the penalty of our sin. Jesus was our substitute on the cross. He was buried and resurrected. Genuine converts never get over the gospel. They are overwhelmed by what great love the Lord has displayed toward us in the person of Jesus Christ. And they have a time in their life where they remember turning from their old way of thinking and living and embracing the Son of God and genuinely following hard after Him. And although it is uncomfortable, the genuine convert could care less because they are in Christ. And God, by His grace, has declared the repentant sinner to be righteous, not based upon the merits of anything that he or she did, but based upon what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for us in the cross at Calvary, His death and His resurrection. Jesus is talking to some of you this morning, and you can do whatever you desire to try your hardest not to listen. But Jesus is saying to you, follow me. There's a second reality in this text. Following Jesus is prioritizing his mission. Prioritizing his mission. Look at verse 59. The Bible says, And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, Jesus directly commands a person to follow him in this text. However, the man has something else he must do first. He's like, Let me go and bury my dad. You know, scholars agree that the man could mean one of two things. First, uh, this man's dad literally had just passed away and he needed to go bury him. Second, this phrase was often used in Greek culture to speak of taking care of one's father until he is a passing so that he is buried with dignity and uh, his uh, estate is arranged according to his wishes and the son gets the long-awaited inheritance. Do you know, either way you look at this text and either way which is right here, the man, he heard Jesus' command, follow me, and more or less responded, I will, but just not right now. No, Jesus wasn't having that response either. Look at verse 60 in your Bible. He said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, I read this statement in my study and was like, let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, dead people can't bury dead people. But do you all agree with that statement? I mean, if you know a dead person that can bury another dead person, something ain't right in that picture. So what is Jesus speaking of here? Well, Jesus is basically saying, you let the spiritually dead people, those who do not have a relationship with God, let those who have not surrendered to the call of Christ take care of burying your father. Right now, Jesus is saying there's too much work to be done. He's like, I'm looking for those who are willing to count the cost to follow me. I'm looking for those who have undivided devotion. You know, one commentator notes, Jesus says that the gospel must come before even the highest family duty. 
So Jesus is like, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And the word proclaim means to put people on notice. Uh, This is the priority of Jesus' disciples. We are called to put people on notice about the rule and reign of God in Christ. There is no, listen closely, there is no, I will follow you, Lord, when it is more convenient for me mindset. Jesus does not have any of that. This man missed God in the flesh, Jesus the Lord, because he was more concerned with his personal calendar than he was with the mission of Jesus Christ. What is the mission of Christ? It is to make disciples. See, those who are genuine followers of Christ do not put off Jesus' call upon their lives. They prioritize his mission to put people everywhere on notice concerning the rule and reign of God. Uh, This first could-be disciple shows that he would follow Jesus if there were immediate personal benefits. He's like, what's in it for me? This second could-be disciple shows that he would follow Jesus if it were more convenient to his timetable. He's like, I will go, just not right now. The first man would not die to himself. As well, the second man would not die to himself. Following Jesus is not comfortable. Following Jesus is prioritizing his mission. When you come to genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is something within you that all of a sudden in that moment begins to have a heart and a desire to see other people come to know Christ personally. You all of a sudden are concerned about the mission of making disciples. I'll quote for you this morning, Charles Haddon Spurgeon who has said in the past, "Uh, Sir, you have no desire to see people saved. Be very sure of this. You are not saved yourself. See, when you come to faith in Christ, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in your heart, and all of a sudden you become concerned with the things of God and heaven. You begin to prioritize the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the first time, your eyes are open to the reality that God has saved you for a purpose. He has put you in the kingdom of God, and he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. You and I, as converts to Jesus Christ, are now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living lives that are begging people to come to know the Lord Jesus It's exactly what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians. So when you come to faith in Jesus, you'll follow him even though it's uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become concerned with his mission and the Holy Spirit of God begins to put it upon your heart to be concerned with those who are lost. And then he fills you with the Holy Spirit as he did in the book of Acts and gives you boldness to declare the message of the gospel and boldness doesn't mean that you have to be loud and you know veins popping out of your neck and your eyeballs about to fall out of your head boldness is simply declaring the truth plainly so that others might understand and when you come to Christ you have a heart to do just that following Jesus there's a third reality following Jesus is absolute surrender to him look at verse 61 in your Bible Another also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. 
Now, in my mind, you know, I read this, and I'm like, did this dude not just hear Jesus say that the other guy couldn't go bury his daddy? If he didn't approve of that, I doubt he's going to be cool with you going back and saying bye-bye to your mom and dad. Now, I did wait until this section of the message to share with you a couple of things that are concerning about the words of Jesus. Did that on purpose. I wanted to do so a moment ago, but I held off. Seems like it'd be fine for an individual to go and bury his father. Seems like it'd be all right to go and say goodbye to your family. Why does Jesus seem in this text to demote the role of the family? I mean, one of the commandments, is it not to honor your father and your mother? What is up with the apparent attitude of Jesus Christ? Now, first off, I just want everybody to be in on the fact that we do not have the ability to see these individuals' hearts in the text whom Jesus is speaking to. Jesus has that ability. We've already learned that earlier in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, when he came to the disciples. And he already knew what they were thinking. So Jesus, when he sees these individuals coming, he knows exactly what is in their hearts. You and I don't have the ability to judge the motive of their apparent excuses, however the Lord Jesus Christ did. But we do know, and you've got to listen close and pay attention. We do know that Jesus makes some phenomenally massive statements about following him. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37 through 38, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So here Jesus again asserts that those who are called to follow him are called to die to themselves and put Jesus and his agenda as first in their hearts even before their family. However, we know from study of Jesus' life and the rest of Scripture that Jesus does not demote the family. On the cross, you may remember, Jesus made sure that his mother would be cared for. However, listen closely, Jesus shows us that his food in life, while he was here on the earth, his food was to do the will of the Father who had sent him. That is his purpose. His plan for his life was to do the will of God. And those of us who are genuine converts to Christ, you have genuinely placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. You are satisfied spiritually only when you are doing what God created and saved you to do. You experience satisfaction as a follower of Jesus when you are about the Father's business. But you know, this could be disciple uh, Jesus is talking to. He's apparently more concerned with saying bye than saying yes to Jesus' call. So we note Jesus' statement in verse 62. Jesus said to him, uh, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jesus is teaching here that a person is not responding to the call if they are looking back. Now this phrase looking back is in the present tense, which describes a continual action. The idea here is that a person who does put his hand to the plow of following Jesus doesn't continue to look back to the world system and live in sin. John writes in 1 John, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The one who practices sin is of the devil. That's what John says. 
If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but the theme of your life is sin and self, then you are not a genuine convert to Christ. A true convert conveys an unwavering commitment to Jesus. This doesn't mean that a disciple of Jesus doesn't sin or mess up. But it does mean that the preeminent theme of the believer's life in Christ is the Lord and his mission to make disciples. Following Jesus isn't comfortable. Following Jesus is prioritizing his mission. And following Jesus is absolute surrender to him. Now, some of you may be like, well, none of those statements describe me, but I know I'm a follower of Christ. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Be careful. You may be among those whom Jesus said, they will call me Lord, but they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, genuine converts, according to Scripture, possess a servant's attitude. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not what's in it for me, but rather it is how do I serve the Lord and others. Those who are genuine converts, they possess a longing to accomplish the mission of the Lord. They desire to see people come to faith in Jesus. They desire people to see, uh, to see them grow in their walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in their heart. Genuine disciples possess also a priority to love Jesus Christ. Those who are genuine converts to Christ, there's no mistake about it. They have a passionate love for the Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Now, as I'm reading this text to you and uh, preaching this particular message, there are many passages that flood the preacher's heart. Uh, that I would love to be able to share with you, but time uh, does not permit. But I do want to share one with you where Jesus says it like this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. There's a broad gate. There's a massive gate. A bunch of people are going to that. They're all going to destruction. It means that they are driving off a cliff to hell. And so they're headed in that direction, but they're all fine with it. It's not a big deal, but they're heading in that direction. You know, Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. The devil will paint the word heaven over a gate to get you to walk through it. He is a deceiver and a liar. And so even as I begin to talk about genuine conversion, those who are genuine disciples, some of you are sitting there and you're saying, well, I've been baptized. I've joined the church. I go to Sunday school. I serve in this area. Listen, you are not saved by what you do. You are saved by what Christ has done. And until you place your faith in the Lord Jesus and genuinely come to know him, you will always be pointing to stuff that you have done in your life that you think makes you right before God. But it does not. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is a massive statement. The Bible teaches Jesus lived a sinless life. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he's without sin. That means Jesus did not lie. Jesus did not have the capacity to tell a lie. So when Jesus says to a great crowd like this, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there's a lot of people going through it, he ain't lying. And when Jesus says, there is the way that leads to eternal life, and only a few are finding it, he ain't lying. 
So Jesus this morning, as if he is standing right here before you, he is exclaiming it directly to your face that there are many people headed to destruction. But you need to enter the narrow way so that you might experience genuine conversion. Now, as I read some of those things off, talking about the genuine convert possessing a servant's attitude, a longing to accomplish his mission, a priority to love Christ, here's what's unique about all of those statements. You nor I have the innate ability to muster any of that up in our life. So how do we experience it? Well, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, genuine faith, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. So the Holy Spirit resides within you as a believer. And the Holy Spirit is the one who changes your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes your mind. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes your attitudes, changes your passions. The Holy Spirit works in your life. He gives you that servant's attitude. He gives you that passion for the mission. He gives you that love for Almighty God. The Holy Spirit does so. Romans chapter 8, I believe it is, Paul the Apostle says quite plainly that those who are not of the Spirit are not of Jesus Christ. That means they aren't saved. Romans even goes on to say that the Spirit of God himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That is, when you come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, the Holy Spirit testifies with the inner man that you are of Christ. He says you are not receiving a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Spirit testifying that we are children of God. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with them so that we may also be glorified with him. Following Jesus is not a joke. Following Jesus is a calling from the Lord himself. And the question is whether or not you have genuinely heeded the call. Now, I know how it is. Some of y'all are sitting in here and you're like, I thought I did till you started preaching. Now I'm all messed up. Well, it is healthy. Paul the Apostle says, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. It is healthy. Are y'all listening? Pay attention right now. Listen. It is healthy for you to listen. Healthy for you to look intently at your own life. Is it characterized by sin and self? If so, you're not saved. I don't care how long you've been in church, how many times you've been baptized. doesn't matter. But if you have a longing for the Lord, there's something innate within you that is always driving you back to Christ. You have this desire to walk with Him. You didn't muster it up. The Spirit of God put it in you. That is the Holy Spirit's way of testifying to your inner man that you're a genuine convert. Now, if you're here this morning and you've heard the whole message and you're thinking to yourself, good night, I cannot wait to get out from under this preaching. Get out of here, your heart's beating out of your chest. The reason it's beating out of your chest is because the Lord is trying to get your attention, man. He wants you to be saved. And as the scripture says, he's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to everlasting life. And what is unique about this call from the Lord is that he does it through preaching. Scripture says in the book of Romans, how will they hear unless they have a preacher? How will their faith be built unless they have a preacher? How will they come to Christ unless they have a preacher? So this morning, 
I may not be a good one, but you have a preacher. And the message is coming through to some of you loud and clear. Jesus is saying, follow me. Quit your playing. Repent of your sin. And come to me. That's what Christ is saying. And I want to beg you that you would make that decision before it's too late. Sounds good, doesn't it? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts now.